Hello and welcome back to episode 3 of Responsible Adult. This week I'm joined by Lorraine. Lorraine is the mother of one of my best friends in the world, Susie. If you know Lorraine then you'll know that she was born to be on a podcast, whether it's mine or someone else's. Uh, If you don't know her you'll find that out soon enough. Um, Me and Lorraine talk about the excitement of financial independence. We talk about mostly about Lorraine's amazing adventures across the world um, that kind of defined her life. We, uh, you know, talk about the importance of finding a career that fulfills you and talk about Susie the Miracle Baby. Um, It's a really lovely chat. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, Here we go with Lorraine becoming a responsible adult. let's kick off then okay hello Lorraine hello Tilda I'm with Lorraine in her lovely Brighton home with her lovely daughter Susie plodding around in the background (laughs) Susie is one of my best friends in the world we've known each other since 2008 recently celebrated our 10-year friendiversary um and Lorraine being her mum has known me for that time as well so you've kind of seen me become an adult I have Um, darling questionable as to whether I've reached that yet <laughs> but it's been lovely watching you grow up I already know a bit about you but mm. I'm itching to to get you on the podcast because I think you'll have plenty of stories to tell but we can start vaguely you've probably heard them all about a hundred times so that's the problem oh I doubt that but I'll happily hear them one there more time there might be some you haven't 101 heard. um so we can start vaguely at the beginning of your your adulthood however you define that so usually talking to previous people, that's been when they left home or, you know, some maybe an event happened that made you feel suddenly like you weren't a child anymore or anything yeah. like that. Um, I suppose for me that was the day I, I got my first job, really. Okay. Because then I felt like a proper grown-up for the first time. I was still living at home and it was my 16th birthday and my mum basically said, go and get a job. <laughs> So in those days, you just went to the job centre and looked at some cards and things, and, and I just saw this job. I had no, you know, at this point, I didn't have any, I didn't have any qualifications. I'd left school without any. Um, mm-hmm. I was supposed to take lots of GCSEs, and I'd studied quite hard for them. And I just, I was just a petulant child, and had a big argument with my English teacher, and decided um, stupidly that I would um, manage without. Without and I just walked out of school and when I was fifteen I didn't go back I didn't take any of my exams so I was I was sort of there in the job centre un- unqualified and and the first job that I saw that looked reasonably appealing was a job in a a little shop around the corner from the job centre it was in in Brighton in Duke Street mm-hmm. a little shop called Happy Pastimes and it was a craft shop oh and they sold all these little individual beads and things and you could make jewellery and things like that. And it was just sort of arty and crafty and it seemed quite... I'd been in there before mm-hmm. as a customer and I thought, oh, that'd be a nice place to work. So they called and I they called... The job centre called the guy who owned it, a lovely man called Chris Rycroft. And he said, um, I'll send her in in half an hour. And I went in. We, we got along really well. He was a really nice chap. And he offered me the job on the spot. And I went home. I was very proud and told my mum I got a job. Nice. And I started the following Monday. I think that was on a Thursday. And I started the job on the Monday. So that, I suppose, especially 
I got paid weekly and at the end of the week, even though it was pittance, I think it was like my wages for a whole week's work mm. was like four, 40 quid. I had to give like a fiver to my mum and um, that sort of thing. I had to pay tax and stuff. But yeah, so that was the first time I had my own, you know, a big chunk of money. I'd had part, you know, paper rounds and things like that, but the first time mm. I'd had, you know, real money. So it was the financial independence was a big part of it. Yeah, that. it was a big a big part of it, yeah. Um and um and I just yeah, I just it was interesting because I was thinking, I was saying to Susie, now I, I think at, at that period, I don't know how many periods in my life where I had that much disposable income even compared to now. Because that forty quid a week stretched a long way. You know, I would go clubbing three nights a week. I'd go to the pub every night of the week. Um, after work and play pool with friends and have a few beers. And then I still had enough money to go clubbing Thursday, Friday, <laughs> Saturday night, proper Amazing. clubbing, you know, buying drinks. None of, you know, we didn't have to prank like you guys do now. Um, and I could buy new clothes. I'd have a new outfit that way. And I'd save some money towards a holiday. And I'd give my mum, you know, a fiver. Yeah. So money went so far. You know, it's like, you know, and that was an unskilled wages you know so it was incredible yeah. really how much money we had I mean a lot of my friends by the time they were 20 21 had bought their own properties wow. and most of my friends I went to school with none of them went you know got they were all unskilled workers mm. working in retail or whatever or or you know um you know well just basically uh unskilled labor basically mm. and they all had their own homes and plenty of disposable income so it's amazing how much more difficult you you guys have got it now so yeah so that was it that was my first experience of of feeling like a grown-up um and before that do you think you'd fit quite nicely into the the daughter role or you know at school were you a bit of a rebel or anything yeah I was a bit I I mean school was difficult for me because uh, although I was um you know, I had teachers, I had a couple of teachers who were great mentors um, and recognised that I was very bright. Um, but I had absolutely no support at home in terms of education. I remember, I've, I've told Susie this story a number of times and a lot of my, my friends have always looked horrified when I've told them. I remember one day I was studying in my final year, I was studying because English was really important to me. I had all these plans. I wanted to go to drama school and things like that. So English, oh, wow. English was really important to me. And I was studying, and I remember my mother, I was studying in the dining room, my mum came in and said, it was a really sunny day, I was studying over the holidays or whatever, I I can't remember the exact details, and and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm studying, I'm I'm studying for my, you know, mocks or whatever, for my, uh, you know, English O-level, English language or whatever, and she said, "Um, what, when it's sunny outside... (laughs) I went, well, yeah, it's kind of important, you know, it's for my exams, you know, most most mothers would be like thrilled. And she looked at me and she said, who do you think you are? That was her, her words were, who do you think you are? Wow. Exams. I've got any exams. I've, I've done any, you know, I've done, I've, you know, I've done all right, said the cleaner in Hove General Hospital. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but my mum was pretty fierce. So I just, you know, packed up my books and went out. So, um. Yeah, so so educate. Yeah, I was a bit of a rebel, um, and I had a couple of teachers who were really good, and they 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 took a lot of you know they they knew how to handle me as it were, um, and but I got suspended um, once, and I did, I, yeah, I had a difficult relationship with school. Mm. Um, 
you know, I was, I was either in, you know, the, 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 the top groups for certain subjects I was interested in and subjects I was not interested in. I'd just be sitting at the back being disruptive and just being, you know, mm. being bored, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I wasn't interested in implying myself unless I was interested. So, yeah, a difficult relationship with school, really. Mm. So um, when, so when and, your mum did the whole who do you think you are thing, was that, was that the end of your drama school ambitions and stuff or did that what, kind of tick over yeah well, what 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 really ended it was i'd i'd um i'd gotten um my schedules and things mixed up and i was supposed to have an oral exam for english and i completely missed it oh no not not intentionally yeah. i mean imagine me not turning up for an oral exam you know I, you know i'd be a star at an oral exam <laughs> Um, and she and the, my teacher, who'd been one of my mentors at that time, my English teacher, um, she took it really personally and handled oh, no. it really badly, mm. and and said that she wasn't going to allow me to take the the rest of the course. She was just going to fail me. That is so at that point, I had this huge screaming match with her, mm. and that was the day I walked out of school, and I and I just didn't take any of my and I didn't go back. I went home, told my mum, and of course she said, you, you tell them, kid, yeah, good yeah. for you, good for you. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is what I was dealing with. Wow. My mum supported this act of colossal stupidity, uh, which it was, looking back on it, um, and she supported it, and, and so that was it. And so I thought, right, well, that's, what, that's, that's that dream over then. I'll have to think of something else, and I think the next thing that I, I decided was thought right well I'll just run away I'll go traveling mm. I knew I couldn't I knew I couldn't just be in an unskilled job nine to five every day going out every mm. week doing all of that I knew that I learned that you know I felt so you like were that. doing that from 16 that whole nine to from five from 16 yeah that Routine. whole nine to five and 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 I think even after about three months of doing that I was really bored mm. Um, the Brighton curse <laughs> yeah I was really bored of just doing that after three months and I, just, I could just see you know my, see where things were going even at that point I thought I knew I'd, I wanted more mm. uh, if, I, if I wasn't going to do my A-levels and then go to drama school then I needed to find something else and I thought right well I'll just go I'll just travel and so I just threw myself into work and saved I got a Saturday job and I got mm. An evening job, um, and I started. Uh, I had this. I had this boy, guy I was seeing, this boyfriend I was seeing, who's much older than me, and he was kind of subsidising. I was more or less living with him, and he was kind of like subsidising, feeding me, and you know mm. all of that, and all the money I was earning, I was kind of saving. Were you um, quite aware of that age gap, or did it just feel natural to be with someone I older than you? I felt kind of natural, really. I'd never been attracted to boys my own age because I was so. <laughs> I mean, you girls know, you know, when you're 16, 16 year old boys are ridiculous. Amen. They're not particularly, <laughs> you know, and I was quite, you know, I was quite sort of ahead of my time, really, when I was sort of 16. So I was, I've never really been an in, interested in, in guys my own age. Mm. It's quite a big gap. He was. Um, 28 I was sort of six uh no it was 27 when we met and I was uh just 17. Wow yeah so big gap although it didn't seem like it didn't feel like a big gap really it, you know although my mum hated the idea she couldn't stand that I was with him um all the time but anyway um so that was that was interesting but no he was sort of so, sorry I just focused on 
going travelling and a friend of mine had agreed to go with me and we decided that we'd do the Greek islands, which was like a big thing to do. Yeah. Um, Greek islands was sort of like the India of Europe then and I just <laughs> that's what I focused on. You know, it was the, 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 the great adventure mm. that, that Europe offered, you know. So but, at that point your work was very much directed towards getting out of it just eventually. getting money a means to an end yeah, yeah. I mean I, I I was still at happy pastimes I, I mean three months after I started there he and his he was married to a Swiss woman they had three little girls they all lived above the shop and he went off for a month to Switzerland and he left me I wasn't even I was still 60 he left me in charge wow. of the shop Jesus. for like three weeks which was like pretty amazing I had to do all the you know all the daily figures I had to do ordering and you know all this massive responsibility um, for three weeks, mm. um, yeah. So, but, but it was more or less a, just a means to an end, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I couldn't wait to get away, really. So, how old were you when you first made one of those big trips? I was. Um, it was not long. Actually, it was because I, I I celebrated my eighteenth birthday while I was away. I think I went away in the April with my friend Lacey, who was my busy mate at the time. And um, a couple of other girls that were coming with us, but they were only going for two or three weeks. Me and Lacey had given up our jobs. We were going for the job. We were never coming back. You know, it's going to be the start of a big adventure. Um, and I left, I think, I think in the April or May. And my 18th birthday was the June. That's how I remember. And I was actually living with Tony at the time. And I didn't tell him that I was going. Tony, your, be your boyfriend could, at the time. My boyfriend yeah. at the time. I couldn't bear to tell him. That I was going because I was worried he'd talk me out of it. Even oh. though a lot of his talk, it talks about his adventures and travellings, were what inspired yeah. me to do it anyway. It was interesting, mm. and uh, and I, I phoned him from uh, from Athens and told him I was <laughs> in Athens. And bearing in mind, it took because we took the bus. There were no cheap flights. There's no such yeah. thing as a cheap flight then. We took a bus that took three and a half days. So he's like phoning the my mum. He's trying to find out where am I? You know, and my mum's going, "She's safe. She's safe." But you know. Being all dramatic, wouldn't tell him where I'd gone. Um, so I phoned him from Athens. How did he react? Well, he was he was sort of simultaneously upset and and impressed, I think. Um, but things were never the same after that. Mm. You know, I said to him, you know, you're one of the reasons I'm here. You know. Yeah. So, so did just, you did you kind of break up in that phone call? Yeah, or? Oh yeah, we broke yeah. up. I, I knew when I was leaving, it was you know. Goodbye to Tony. To, 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 goodbye to Tony, yeah. It was goodbye to Tony. <laughs> the title of your memoir. My first, uh, my first, it was probably my first love, kind of love. It was a kind of mm. love, but it, yeah, it wasn't the love of my life, but it was a it was big, big influence, important yeah. influence on me. Mm. So anyway, yeah. So, so that you got it, the bus Greek to Islands, Athens. And, then I was, and, that, and I thought, wow, this is living, you know. Nice. No bills, just... You know, planning on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So you, so that's, so you weren't thinking about. I, th I think most people don't think about the end of traveling. It's probably just me being a pessimist. But mm. you, were you very much in the moment, not thinking about anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just wanting to explore, really. And and and, and it was interesting because I thought, you know, I thought the thing I that would be most amazing about traveling would be the things I would see. And it was about the people I met, really. It was mm. all about the people. The first time I met, I was surrounded by people um, who who I felt, you know, felt more like I, the way I viewed the world. And I mm. never, and, and I often felt like I didn't view this world the same way as my my peers at school. 
I knew I wanted more than they wanted. I knew I wanted different. I yeah. knew, knew I viewed everything differently to them, politics and, and the way the world was and and, and how, how, you know, how to function and what I wanted from life. I knew it was different from all of them. And then all of a sudden when I was travelling, I was meeting all these people that, inspiring me and and they'd and, made the same decision and compounding as you. you know what i the views i'd always had mm. you know but i just didn't i didn't mix with people like that at school yeah so it was i i, I kind of found a new i found my peer group you know in a way um the, or mm. the peer group i wanted and didn't seem to be available to me at school mm. so were they just fellow travelers or fellow travelers yeah but they were you know they were australian they were irish they were mm. they were german they were dutch they were French, they were, you know, Australian and you know, Canadians, they were, you know, a few occasional Americans, you know, more East Coasters than mm. uh, West Coasters. But that, yeah, and it was incredible. And they, you know, more or less my age. And mm. and I was just fascinated by, by meeting all these people that were um, more interesting than me. Can you tell me about any of them, one of oh, them? Oh, God, there were so many. I met so many. One that stands out. God, back in the day, I suppose on my first trip in the in the Greek islands, a, a, a Dutch guy had a big impact on me. Um, he was called Nano, and he was uh, he was older than than Lacey and I. He was probably ten years older than Lacey and I, but he was he was very funny, and he was a bit of a he was a he was always stoned and always dry. He had a big drink issue, but he was one of the most interesting people I'd ever met. You know, he'd been everywhere. He was a DJ at the time quite quite famous DJ in in Amsterdam mm -hmm. and he'd, he'd taken the summer off and uh, I don't know for some reason he kind of took to me in, in not in a sleazy way in a kind of because he had a lovely girlfriend but we he and I just became really good mates yeah um, and funny enough yeah and he used to go to this place year and year after year and I used to go year year, year after year to, to Pisilavadi when I wasn't on big travelling trips, if I wanted a couple of weeks holiday, I would go to this place and it was a ball ache to get there because mm. you had to fly to Athens, take an eight-hour ferry to Paros, then get on the bus or whatever to, to this little place. Wow. You couldn't fly direct. Or, you know, it, it was a ball ache to get there, but it was a, just a special place. Um, and years and years later, in '86. I went back, and he and I and he and I ended up having a bit of a thing. Mm -hmm. So um, although his drinking had gotten really, you know, much worse, but he seemed to look exactly the same. He never <laughs> seemed to age, and and and, and so our, our our great mates thing, you know, we became lovers for a while, which was exciting. Mm. I know you girls hate when when old people use that term, but well, that's what we were. <laughs> you know, we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend. We became, mm. you know. So that was interesting. So he was a big character. Um, gosh, there were so many. Had an affair with um uh, <laughs> with a, a Greek guy called Vasilis in Crete, and he was wonderful. He was about twenty five, and he got very um very attached very quickly and we both virtually had to run away me and my friend to get away from him because he became a bit obsessed but I had mm. lovely amazing you know romance for the first time in my life incredible romance with this lovely Greek he was a waiter you know his dad mm. owned the restaurant but he was a waiter what a classic 
and um, you know so predictable but it was an exciting time we spent, I spent about three weeks gallivanting around with him and did your friend meet people as well or was she yeah she was yeah she was meeting people as well Lacey yeah it was a kind of a voyage of discovery really for both of us and the funny thing was Lacey that was it that was her that was her travel bug itched and she never really went anywhere again after that apart mm. from for an, a normal holiday she just got back from that trip and and threw herself into work and um, sort of married somebody, settled down, had children. And it was all, I mean, it fueled my, I needed more of that. I mm. wanted more of it, you know. So um, so we kind of went our, our separate ways. We're friends again. You know, we got became reunited on Facebook probably recently as five or six years ago. Wow. Um, having had such an intense sort of shared experience yeah, of those Greek wow. islands. Yeah, we kind of, maybe we OD'd on each other. And I think maybe, <laughs> maybe she saw that. You know, maybe maybe she she she'd found her peer group, and they were our friends at home, and my peer group I'd found, and they weren't my friends at home, and so I suppose we became a little bit estranged mm. by the end of that. But gosh, there were so many characters back then. Um, when you when you moved from place to place, did you have any method of kind of you know taking addresses or phone numbers or anything? Of these people, were they just kind of lost? I'm sure to... we must have. Yeah, I'm sure we must have. And said, "Oh yeah, and when we're in Sweden, when we oh, if we're in Sweden, we'll come and see you." If we mm. did, did, yeah, we, I probably took down lots of addresses and, and 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 stuff, and they took ours, and you know. Yeah. But with that trip, it didn't. No, nothing like that ever happened. No, nobody sort of turned up. Yeah. When they came to Brighton at my place, and I, I you know, I didn't when I when I subsequently went around traveling around Europe. You know, I didn't actually hook up with anyone. You know, life gets in the way. It's kind of, it's, I don't know. You move once you move on to the next people. You meet a new new group of people. You know. Yeah. Um, no, I I just think it's quite um. It's just quite interesting that you're talking about a peer group, which is quite um, you know, transient. Actually, like yeah. you didn't get to, you didn't, you weren't like friends with them, and the knowledge that they were going to be there forever. No, it was I just a quite type. I, I, when I say a peer group, these were the people. These are the kind of people I want to be around. Yeah, you know, whether I'm traveling or whether I'm at home, I don't want to be around people who are only interested in getting up and going to work mon- Monday to Friday. Mm. And are still so young, you know. I wanted to be around people who had plans and who had ideas and 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 wanted adventure and things like that. And so that peer group would always, uh, in its nature, I've always, always been attracted be... to people like that ever since, really. Yeah. And I've, I've in in work, um, socially, I've always sought out similar, similarly mm. minded people like that. You know, it's weird, mm. strange. So where, where were some other places you went after that, after the islands? Oh, and... gosh. Uh, well, after that trip, we were away, I think, for about six months on that trip. And then as soon as I came back, I just got a job, uh, moved back in with my mum, got a job and several jobs again, probably. I was just working all the time and was saving up for the next trip. But the next trip didn't happen. I did, I did a month in Israel. Um, wow. I think a couple of years later with an American friend of mine she'd come over from the States to do a year at the London School of Economics and my mum was running a border boarding house at the Seven Dials in your road in High Down Road wow. number 50 it's one of the you know the little ones that were clearly shopped um, by the laundrette number yeah, 50 yeah, was yeah. you know and there was a kind of a, an office below and, and my mum had the, you know we had the whole house mum owned it 
and uh, had like 10 rooms and she was always having borders. And this girl, Mara, who was, um, uh, yeah, she's coming, she'd come over to do a year at the London School of Economics. And there was, my mum was on some sort of exchange thing where she came to stay with us for a month. Uh, whenever she was, when, whenever they broke up, she'd be in Brighton um, staying with us for the holidays rather mm -hmm. than staying in London. Uh, oh, the rest of the time she was in halls during term time, but the rest of the time she'd come and stay with me. So she had Christmas with us, um, and and she's she one summer she said, look, you know, I'm going to I'm going to Israel uh, for a month, and she was going as a Jewish, you know, a Jewish Californian. She wanted I was at that point uh, at least an agnostic. I, I wasn't yeah. as dramatic as an atheist, but I was a totally. Non uh, I was a I was a committed agnostic. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So I was happy to just do the Jewish ride. You know, let her. It was like a for her. It was a, a pilgrimage. Well, a pilgrimage. Yeah, exactly. So we went. Yeah, and to get a month, I tell the most outrageous lies. I, told, <laughs> I, I was so determined to go, uh, and I couldn't afford to give up my job. So I just literally went to HR with no thought whatsoever, <laughs> or with very little thought, and told her. That I was pregnant and I needed time off to have a termination. Oh wow! I just lied. I'm oh wow! I can't believe it. And I lied. No, I'm going to need a month off to recover. And she was like, "Of course, of course, of course." And I had to come back and be all sad. And I was brown and you know, <laughs> you know, going full of excitement about this amazing adventure mm. I'd had. I think she realised, but she couldn't really. So that was naughty. That was really bad. But for me, I would have said anything to get. To and I couldn't, But I knew I, you know, I still needed the job. I was working in Debenhams opposite Waitrose mm. on Western Road at that point. So I went and had this amazing adventure and that was incredible. And we did the whole, you know, the whole Jewish thing. I mean, I had to pretend to be Jewish at one night. There's lots of the tours we went on were free. Um, and one of the first things we did was a Shabbat dinner on the Friday. And I learned loads about Judaism and became quite interested in it. And I, and I remain quite interested. And I met lots of really interesting, funny people. And we did incredible, you know, tours. And people just sort of assumed I was Jewish. Apart from this Shabbat dinner that we went to. And I was sat next to the rabbi. Yeah. And he spotted in about four and a half <laughs> seconds that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't Jewish. So, yeah, so it was, that was fascinating. That was a fascinating mm. um, trip. And, Could you feel uh, yourself Mara and changing I remain over these times? Um, yeah, I just found myself wanting wanting more and, you know, the more. And again, the trip was incredible. And you know, we saw, you know, we saw so much. We spent the night on the Masada Fortress. We did everything, you know. We really, really took a lot out of that trip. You know, mm. we, we bunked into the the the... Jerusalem Plaza um, Mara was from very wealthy and she just fitted into a place like the Jerusalem Plaza and she had a way of just walking in and we just walked in there on the Shabbat one day and spent the day by the pool and Wow. And both came out with our stolen Jerusalem Plaza towels, which I kept for years. It was my beach towel for years, my Jerusalem Lovely. Plaza. So yeah, it was interesting. I learned, yeah, I learned a lot. It was really weird because it, I didn't really understand a lot of the politics back then. And obviously, by the end of the trip, I was I was you know pretty much well versed on it all. If only if with a Jew, a, a Jewish a bias towards the, the the plight of the Jews sort of thing. Um, obviously, my thoughts have changed over the years about mm. the occupation and that sort of thing. But at the time, I remember it being really weird because you'd be on a bus, and there'd be there'd be young people like kind of in 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 fatigues in army fatigues, very young people. Because, of course, men and women, even back then, they did national service. 
Um, but it was quite, because it was, fr they were giving their time, it was kind of informal. It wasn't like the British army is very formal, everybody yeah. marching everywhere and doing this. And, you know, the women had long hair flowing everywhere and the guys yeah. had their cool hairdos and they were a bit unkempt. And it was kind of like, it was like how you'd imagine a voluntary yeah, sure. Uh, forced to be, and it, there was a the, even though they had these like stacks of guns and things like that, I I felt very secure and very it, there was kind of a serenity about it, and I think Jerusalem knocked me out. Really, it's one of the, I'd love to go back, but but there's all kinds of conflicting things about why I can't, why I won't go back. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to go back when there is you know some kind of peace accord, some kind of e yeah. e equality. But I can't see that happening in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I can't bring myself to go back there. But oh. I remember being astonished by what an amazing city it was. Because they were all rubbing along together in Jerusalem. It's what the outside world doesn't know. You know, you've got the within the walls, or back then, you've got the Arabs the Arab quarter, the, the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter, yeah. um, the I don't know, various other Coptic quarters. You've got all sorts of quarters within the walls of the old city and everybody's rubbing along fine. Mm. and getting along lovely you've got the blue mosque shining over the top yeah, of the of wailing course. wall and it, it and they didn't i didn't feel any as a tourist i didn't feel any sense of of danger the only strange thing was these young people everywhere with with kalashnikovs um but yeah so i would you know i would love to go back there one day mm. so how long did you keep traveling for before you felt as kind of a need that it had to grind to a halt or yeah well, I think I think after my trip to Europe in 86 I um I when I came back from that I decided I, I needed to figure out what I was going to do for a living for the rest mm. of my life and and I I started applying for I had I suddenly had this confidence that I hadn't had before and started applying for jobs um, that weren't, you know, mostly I'd just done retail and telephone sales and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had a gift for, 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 I knew I could, you know, I had a gift for being persuasive and, 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 um, and for sales, uh, but, but more, you know, but not just selling somebody, somebody's coming in for a telly, is a telly, mm -hmm. something a bit more of a higher level than that. And I started, I went into conference and banqueting, I started working. Further, I did work for the Grand and in their conference and banqueting, and started doing more officey based things and more, more challenging work than than just you know taking people's money and that sort mm. of thing. And then I saw a job um, for telephone sales in the Argus, funny enough, for the Observer, and I just had this light bulb moment, and I thought, right, I'm going to go for that, and I'm going to get it. <laughs> um, Good for their telephone sales, selling advertising, you know, classified advertising. Yeah. And I did. I completely fabricated my CV because I knew there's no way my education. I knew there's no way I'd even get an interview. I was going to ask if they if I hadn't. Held back. Yeah. So I put I, I I put that I was educated to A level standard because that's what the ad said minimum A level standard required. So I had a friend who you know who helped me put together. Uh, uh, you know, I mean they all know. I'm still friends with them now. They know um, that it was all bullshit, and I did it to get the interview. Um, you know. Because there's no way I would have got an interview otherwise. Mm. And then I went to a recruitment evening. There were 40 people at this recruitment evening. I dressed, I bought, you know, I spent money on a fantastic suit. And I turned out and there's lots of students, graduates there. Yeah. Uh, all lo looking like sacks of, you know, like dressed like tramps. And I walk <laughs> in like, you know, bloody 
businesswoman of the year, you know, <laughs> totally got it wrong, you know, oh. uh, but it made me stick out. I'd have my nails done, I had my hair, <laughs> I had really short cropped hair that dyed black with a sort of blue tinge, and I had my makeup done, my nails, and I walked in there like I owned the place. And from a recruitment evening of 40 people, two people got the job, and I was one of them. Nice. And that night, um, we were taken off, we had all sorts of exercises, it was a whole recruitment evening. I ended, I ended up doing recruitment days for them, obviously when I got when I was became got promoted, became a trainer. Mm-hmm. But um, Shelley, who is one of my great friends still now, who you've met, um, it was her first recruitment evening as a trainer. She'd just been promoted and she, she was the one that, I was the first person that she put through to come back to have a final interview with the big bosses. So it was a big risk for her. Because um, the other trainers said no one's, you know, there was only one other that got put through to a final interview out of 40 people, wow. you know. Um, and it was Shelley that put me through. And then and then um, Kathy and uh, Lou, who are still friends of mine now, did the final interview and they offered me the job on the spot nice. at the end of the interview and I remember thinking okay this is the start this is the start of, of something big for me something new and exciting this is it was going to change my life having mm. that job and my god it did it changed my life changed. so you, it was you know maybe not the same but on a par with the feelings that you had about traveling mm. so it, it still felt you know Opportunistic yeah, and... it was the first time in my life I woke up and I was excited to go to work. That's really nice. And I was and I and I would work on Sundays uh, if necessary, if I need, if, you know, do my paperwork and things. I loved first time I'd ever had a job that I loved going to, mm. and it was about it wasn't just about the work; it was also about the people I was working yeah. with, who were fun, clever. I mean, most of the people I was working with. I, I think six months after that recruitment evening, they be, they they became graduate only. Okay. Recruitment because they would get so many applications. Yeah. And they needed to cut it down, and so I was really lucky to get in when I did because right. there's no way I could have faked. There's no way I could have bullshitted a, a, a degree. Mm. Um, I think people. I think they would actually because later on we'd we'd ask them to bring their proof that they 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 were graduates as well. They had to bring certificates and shit, you know. Yeah. So there's no way I would have gotten the job. So I was so lucky to get in with my. By this mm. time, all you know, they all knew. It was, I told them I'd mm. I'd fessed up and said it was totally fabricated. <laughs> um, but you were so wonderful. But they didn't care by then. They said, "Well, fair play to you." you <laughs> was know, that um, whatever? Was that based in London? Uh, yeah, it was a, 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 just around the St Andrews Hill. The so my, you know, all of a sudden, my, I'm commuting. From Brighton. I've got, I'm working in London, um, and I'm working just around the corner from Fleet Street. You know, amazing. Um, I was getting, I was going to, you know, Fleet Street pubs, and and it was amazing. Yeah, and shortly after, um, they they moved to Battersea. But uh, yeah, I just I just felt like I'd come home. I just felt like I'd found the kind of work I was, mm. you know, destined to be doing, and and I was bloody good at it. Yeah. And you know, and and I, I was promoted very quickly. Within three months, I was promoted wow. to, um, lost a couple of friends over it. Well, not friend. Tanya was at the time, who I'm still friends with now. She left because I got the job and she didn't, the promotion. I didn't okay. even want it. At that <laughs> point, I was still planning. I was. You know, I remember Shelley calling me up to her desk and saying, are you going to Australia? Are you, what do you, what's, what's your future with her? I said, well, 
I'm not in a hurry. I'm loving the work. I'm really enjoying it. She said, oh, you know, why why haven't you applied for the trainer job? I said, well, been here five minutes. You know, why would I? You know, but mm. she went, well, I think you should. And because she was wow. the big boss by then. And it was her job. She'd been my trainer. She'd just been promoted to the big boss and she needed somebody to fill her shoes. And so still down the line, here's Shelley again there for me. And she's saying, I want you to apply for this job. So she really believed in you. She wanted me to, she wanted, yeah. And she told me that the night before that they'd all, you know, they'd all had a chat and they were saying, who's ready now to be a trainer? And and she told me in this conversation, she said, uh, all of them said you. Wow. All of the other trainers said you. Did that make you feel proud? So that made me feel, because re- I had no idea. I was really scared. I thought, God, what can I, you know, I, I've only been here five minutes. I'm not mm. the best salesperson. I'm not, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why do they want me? I was kind of like, I didn't understand. But I had such admiration for Shelley that if she thought I could do it, I mean, she was kind of a hero to me, Shelley. She was mm. kind of a mentor, really. Yeah. And if she thought I could do it, then then I can. And she just said to me, she just said to me, just come, just spend the weekend, just get, you know, we went out that night. But when she announced it on the Friday, there was like you could hear a pin drop. A lot of the, t- it was was not well, it did not oh, go wow. down well. And so we all went out and got drunk. And um, she said, just spend the weekend getting hammered. And she said, come in here on Monday and start as you mean to go on. Just start as you mean to go on. Amazing. And uh, yeah, so really so yeah, I, was, I had some good years there, some really good years, and then went to IPC. And also, I'd fallen in love at that point, and so I, the travelling again took the backbone. I was really enjoying my work, and I, I was in love, and you know, shacked up with a, you know, the, probably the love of my life, and so I was really happy in my work, was really happy at home, I had a fantastic group of friends, all of his friends that I'd inherited, I had mm-hmm. lovely friends in London that I was working with. Um, so I just, yeah, I was really probably the happiest, happiest time, uh, certainly at that point of my life. Um, and did you feel kind of comfortable in your adult position at that point? Did you feel like you'd yeah, kind of I felt really proud found of myself. your feet? Yeah, I felt, I felt, I felt really proud of myself. Yeah. You know, I had a, I loved saying I worked for the Observer, you mm. know. Can People imagine. would go, oh, what, the Surrey Observer? I was like, no, the Observer, <laughs> the newspaper, you know. And uh, and people, I don't know, it, it's kind of, it was good for my, I felt proud, you know, to say, people say, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm an, I'm, I, work, I work for the Observer. Are you right? No, no, advertising department. You know, but it, it was just, mm. yeah, it was cool. Did you ever so, want to become a writer? Um, Not really, although I've had friends over the years always say I should have been a travel writer. Mm. Uh, That's interesting. Susie's dad's obsessed with me, you know, saying I should always, should have been a travel writer. Um, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, well, I loved it. I mean, when I went away and before I came home and had this beautiful darling over here, um, mm-hmm. I, I sort of got I got disillusioned by advertising after a while. My relationship broke down. I went. I was a bit of a mess. I started, you know, drinking too much, taking drugs that I shouldn't have been doing, and and I just became a bit of a mess. I went. I, you know, I became freelance. I was earning lots of money, um, but wasn't really anchored anywhere. Sure. Um, and I was just. Ugh, you know, just blowing all this money, and I felt really disorientated and didn't really know where I wanted to go. I knew I didn't want to stay in advertising because the people at this point were starting to get my nerves. You know, <laughs> How but, so? Just so, you know, I'd been, I'd moved into eight working with agencies, and I'm, I'm not an agency. I was great with clients, but age middlemen, I'm not. I, you know, I'm not a natural schmoozer or yeah. whatever. So, I, so that 
first. So that's why I went back into freelance. So I was just phoning clients direct and, and, and selling to them on the telephone and loving it. I'm very good at it. But then I got really disillusioned. My dad died, had the opportunity to get some real money together from his inheritance. And, you know, and I, so I thought, I'll go travelling again after a long break. I went on a massive trip with a great friend of mine who I was working freelance with. And I thought, well, I'll decide, I'll decide what's next from that. And I did, it worked. I came back, I thought, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. Where was that big trip to? That was uh, Asia, mostly Asia, Australia. Wow. We were about nine months. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I did in total. And by the time I came back, I'd had enough, really. I left my friend, she was in Sydney. Um, and I was like, you know, I was 33 at the time. And I, mm. I couldn't, I was on the same visa as her. She had like an under under 30s type visa, so she could work legally. The only work I would get would be, you know, really cheap labour and awful. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be broke, I might as well be broke at home among <laughs> friends, you know. Yeah. And I wasn't that enamoured with Australia, really. For me, the adventure was always, you know, foreign, you know, you know, completely new cultures, not one yeah. that's so similar to our own. Mm. So I thought, oh, no, I, I, I wanted to come home. So I just, you know, took my flight and came home and got pregnant with Susie two weekends after becoming her, after getting home. Wow. <laughs> but at that point, I'd, I had decided, I'd already started looking at um, foundation courses. I thought, I'm going to do a degree. Yeah. And I'm going to be a teacher. I knew I didn't want to teach little kids because the observer, I'd loved the induction courses. I used to do, and then I went on to IPC and I wrote my own induction course uh, for my travel because I was in charge of all the travel advertising when I went yeah. to IPC magazines. And I wrote my own, you know, my boss, uh, who's a bit of a legend, Sly Grice, she said, well, you write the induction course then. You know, you're probably the best trainer we've got. Write your own induction course. So I did. Um and it seemed to work because they all came out and started selling tons of advertising. So that was good. So I thought, well, that's what I do. I'll do then. I'll teach. teach I'm yeah. very good at imparting knowledge. I enjoy the teaching. But, you know, you get some, you must have had lecturers that love the sound of their voices. Yeah. But they're not interested in, in actually teaching you anything. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I love the, the be, being the centre of attention. But, but for me, <laughs> the challenge is having them understand. Yeah, the engagement. Is it having them engage, understand, and then... And then execute yeah. what they've been taught and yeah. then watching that magic and seeing them then go and do that and then, wow, you mm. know, get results yeah. and things like that. So, so and I thought, well, I could do this. You know, I could just do an English degree because I wanted to, I knew if I was going to teach anything A-levels, I wanted to teach English, um, English Lit or something. So, and I was sort of looking at foundation courses and then I found out I was pregnant and I thought, well, Okay, well, that'll be my next adventure. Then I'll be a mummy because I didn't think I could have children. So it was miraculous, really, finding out I was um, pregnant with Susie. It was um, simultaneously the most terrifying and <laughs> joyful moment when I did that pregnancy test. I kind of knew I was pregnant before. Yeah. I just felt. Where were you when you did the test? I was in Karen Guthrie's house in in uh, Shirley Street in Hove. I was sat on the side of the bath, watching, waiting. I was pretty sure I was pregnant. Because mm. um, I could, you know, all the physical signs were there, and uh, and I remember, I remember closing my eyes and trying to try, trying to be sensible and pragmatic. Pragmatic. I, I remember closing my eyes, thinking, right, options, mm. and I and I closed my eyes and just I like, like a black shutter came down. I could see no colours, not just a black shutter, and 
And I knew that there was no question of any of my options. I was going to have this child. Yeah. And I cried and wept in that bathroom. And it was it was with it was with fear. I mean, I'd just come back, I'd living in someone else's house, barely started a job, you know, and here yeah. I was, uh, pregnant. Um but I knew, I knew I was going, and I was so happy with the decision. Yeah. It was so weird. I was absolutely thrilled. So it was tears of joy and trepidation. You know, you must yeah. have had sort of that sort of experience. Well, if you haven't, you will one day. <laughs> um, probably when you find out you're pregnant yourselves or whatever, because it's a scary thing. Yeah. But yeah, so, that, and that was incredible. And I thought, well, I'm not special enough to do a degree and be a, a, a mother and, and, and in hindsight I wish I kind of had because I didn't go back to work for seven until you were about six or seven now I could have easily have just done yeah a degree maybe part-time and I probably should have yeah. done that then but anyway I didn't but I think maybe you know the fact that Susie was so premature as well was pretty yeah. scary um, starting both at the same time is just it must have just not seemed you know maybe to continue something you'd already started mm. while pregnant maybe it's feasible mm. but I can see that it was just a scary you prospect. wouldn't find that out and then sit there and go right well let's crack on with the degree then yeah you know yeah. Got I, mean, I just thought well when I'm ready about. to go back to work I'll just go back to you know I'll go back to advertising if I have to you know bloody blah, blah um and uh I didn't I didn't. it was a long time before I went back to work mm. and I was just Susie's mama so how was motherhood for you in terms of Feeling oh God, like a grown up, really. Yeah, I mean, I was in love with her before she was born. Mm. Really, totally. I mean, she was named and everything, and and I just went into mama bear mode. I mean, I just by the time she was born, even though she was born nine weeks early, I you know got a job, um, um, and I bought a flat. I bought a flat. You know. First time in my life I owned my own property. I, mean, I could only afford a one-bed flat, but it was mine. And, you know, and Paul was brilliant. He was having decorate it and clean, getting it all ready. And, of course, when I brought her home, it was about a week before I'd completed. So, um, fortunately, Karen went away on holiday. So I played house with you at Karen's house for a week. And Karen was away. And by the time she came back, we'd moved into our... Our little nest. You being Susie at this point, by the way. <laughs> Lorraine did not give oh, yeah, birth you, to me. <laughs> yeah, you is Susie, yeah, of course. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry. So yeah, that was and that was my next adventure, being a motherhood. It was scary, but it was wonderful. You know. Um it's it's difficult. Being a mother is really difficult because you were you know, I remember Paul and I being really scared, and you know, and I, I said to him, Look. I, you know, we both know how we don't want to do it. Mm. Paul being Susie's dad. Yeah, Paul yeah. being Susie's dad. Uh, we both know how we don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, that, so that's that's a good starting point, really. Um, we know what mistakes we don't want to repeat. I mean, we'll still repeat some, you know. Inevitably. Um, inevitably, because it's sort of ingrained, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, it was a scary and it was a great challenge. But it was joyful. Mm. Yeah, I wanted so much to get it right. Yeah, and so I would beat myself up horribly if I ever felt like I'd got it wrong, and I got it wrong a lot, a lot, big time, you know. But uh, yeah, it was amazing though. Mm. It was amazing. I've ne the, the the love. What nobody ever told me was how much you worry. Nobody ever says, "Oh, oh, oh yeah, being a mother's wonderful," but you don't stop worrying, ever, and it's really scary. And nobody mm. ever tells you that. And not natural to you, seemingly, because you spent a lot of your life just kind of doing it anyway and not really worrying about yeah, yeah, the consequences. It, 
Well, I mean, you know, so we both, Paul and I both got some really good stuff from from our mums. I think we were both very lo- very physically loving. We were very tactile and cuddly. Yeah. So she had lots of lovely cuddles, and we weren't cold. You know, she was always told how much she was loved, and yeah. You know, when we did get, you know, we certainly I was always you know if I did get it wrong sometimes I'd, I'd apologize and say look that was you know that wasn't about you that was mummy being weird because blah 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 tried to explain and yeah I mean so we yeah we both took a lot of good stuff but a lot, most of it we were just sort of winging really it's a bit of a blur really strange but I remember some of the my favorite parts was 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 when she was really tiny and I first took her home was that, that being in the middle of the night, being sort of three or four o'clock in the morning and feeding her mm. and just feeling like we were the only two people in the world awake at that point mm. and just having her all to myself and I'd make a big nest in the living room <laughs> uh, for the first sort of six, for, well, probably the first six months, I would say. And that was our, you know, that was like, that was like being in a, do you remember that? Do you remember having that? Well, and I, we had that big thick duvet, and I and I lay it all out before I went to bed at night. And I knew that when you woke up in the night, we'd just go in there, and I'd put the TV on. There'd be really bizarre things on, like Chinese football and stuff like that. <laughs> and then it's when there was no channels. But anyway, yeah, no, that was mm. yeah, it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done, and and the most wonderful and the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Nice. And the most exciting thing I've ever done. So yeah. Do you think you took to it as quickly as you did? Advertising sales. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Did you feel confident? I in was. It? Yeah, I did, yeah, I was pretty confident. I was pretty confident. I knew what she needed. Mm. Um, Do you think every mother does, just instinctively? No, I mean I know mothers that didn't. I mean, I thank God I didn't have. I I, I don't think I had any. I, um, a lot. Of, I know a lot of people that have had postnatal depression and things like that, and mm. um, that was one of my big fears. And I, I didn't. I did have. A, I did get depressed when Susie was about. I think. I think she just started school really, or just the year before she started school, and I had a kind of a, de- a, de- a depression episode. And it wasn't the first time I'd been depressed, so I recognised it straight away. Um, but it was the first time I'd been medicated mm. for depression. Um, but no, certainly not. No, I was really, I was loving it really when she was tiny. I really, really loved it. And I don't know really where that came from. I think maybe it was where I'm starting to think, uh, you know, maybe I'm doing her a disservice by just being, you know, on welfare because I was just on welfare. I think it was being on welfare and not doing and just being, and the prospect of Susie going to school and me thinking, oh God, I'm probably going to have to get a job or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I think it might have just been that that triggered it, but largely now I loved it. I loved it. I had a nice. We had a nice circle of friends, didn't we? Rihanna, Rihanna just had Gareth as well. Yeah, and then and then she went to school. Wow, milestone! I've got her to school age. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, so that was that really. Yeah. Um, that was my my new, next adventure. I still haven't given up on a degree. Maybe when I retire, I'll do that. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'd like to do something like that. Um, so what does what does adulthood mean to you now? I hate to stop at children because obviously that's not. What does it mean to not me where now? a person's Gosh. life ends? <sighs> I think I think for me, what what's that? that for me the holy grail is is being content. Mm. Um, I've always thought being happy is easy, because it's so kind of like it's such a shallow, it's quite shallow being happy. 
Um, and it can anything can make you happy. I mean, a TV show can make you happy for, for forty five minutes, but being con- just content, yeah, consistently content is difficult. Um, and it's something I've always struggled with. I have periods of contentedness, mm. and then and then I don't, then I feel then I don't feel content at all. Um, and think, a lot of it, I think, has been around. That's what I've always said to Susie: you know, please try and find something that you care about mm. for work, because you spend, you know, everything is dependent on work. Your survival is dependent on it. Your yeah, totally. everything is dependent on. It. Try and find something, and you spend so much time doing it. And I've had a difficult relationship with work. I've gone through big highs and then big lows, and highs and lows with work. Um, and paying the bills, the pressure of paying the bills, it's quite. Yeah. You know, it's uh, being an adult is um, scary. Scary, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know, you get to my age, and you think, oh, you're supposed to have achieved this by now. You're supposed to have that, and I kind of haven't. But I don't, in a way, I don't really have regrets because I've had so many adventures. I've had so so much more of a of a of an experience than would I have liked. Would I? Okay, would I like to be sat here now with my mortgage paid off and my own? You know, <laughs> rather than renting sharing a flat with my brother as I am now still owning my own property with my mortgage nearly paid off which is where a lot of my friends are a great big pension pot to look forward to um but I but they've all just been on a treadmill yeah for 40 years um I haven't been on that treadmill I've jumped off it occasionally and gone and had adventures um would I swap places with them now sure yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Easy but, to say but now. not if I had to give up everything I've done. Yeah, no course. way, no way. Not in a million years, mm. I wouldn't have given up any of those experiences. Um, That's really nice. Never. And you know, uh, whatever happens, you know, I'll always land on my feet, and I will survive. You know, I will survive. I always have, and I'll find. I'll figure. I'll figure it out. I'll figure something out. Mm. I always figure something out. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want, I don't need a lot to be, you know, to be comfortable these days. I never have really. Mm. Um, when I was making lots of money, um, I used to like spend a lot of it on my friends and just, you know, blow it. <laughs> I never felt compelled to save it and stash it away. It was there to be kind of enjoyed and mm. do spontaneous things. Mm. So let's head into. The quick fire round. Oh, right, okay. Um, is there a song that reminds you of the stuff we've been talking about or one specific time? Um, God, it's so, it seems, seems so naff. Don't care. But there, there, there was a song, it is quite naff, um, but there was a song, and I think maybe... I, I fell in love with this song when my mum um, played it to me when, we, when I was really young. Um, and it's by Shirley Bassey, and it's called "This Is My Life." And um, and I I took I had the pleasure of taking my mum to see Shirley Bassey about four times to see her live. And it, it's her. It's still now. If she performs live now, her 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 final encore is always "This Is My Life." Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I remember when I was very young and I first heard it, and I used to think about it. I used to think. I used to, it used to make me cry because I used to think this is my mum's. This, this I it used to make me cry for my mum yeah. that it was her favourite song, and then, and then later, late, late, later, it became my song. 
That's lovely. You know, in a way. Mm. A song about, you know, my life and the way I view my life looking back. Mm. And 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 so, yeah, I, I kind of would have to choose that, really. Mm. Um, nice. I mean, there are songs I like I like more and have touched me more deeply on, on, on different periods of my life, but that that's the one constant. Sometimes, you know, if I, if I get really drunk and nostalgic, that's the one I'll go to on YouTube. <laughs> do you know what I mean if, I, exactly if ever I get after. deeply nostalgic and, and drunk drunk, and I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself or I'm feeling positive yeah it, I, it doesn't have to be I will that's the one I'll go to on YouTube yeah mm. so nice. this is my life amazing Shirley Bassey well at this yeah. point listeners on Anchor will hear This Is My Life by Shirley Bassey anyone else go listen to it on Spotify because I can't pay for the copyright God bless. Um, <laughs> next question. When have you felt luckiest in your life? God, I have to say, and this is absolutely sincere, when that pregnancy test was po- was positive. Oh. I swear to God. I'd given up. I, I, I was convinced I was never going to be a mother. So, uh, that. Oh, that's lovely. Um, what's advice that you would give to yourself at 21? That also applies to me now. Trust your instincts more and don't be so hard on yourself. Be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Because uh, I was very self-critical at that age and used to put myself through hell. Um, just be kind to yourself and mm. don't, you know, lighten up <laughs> lighten up thanks Lorraine <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's no, what I'd say because right. that's I'm, I'm not it's not to you it's not a criticism of you it's just myself at that age I know yeah how, no it is it is to me how hard I was on myself and I know I how think hard all of us. Susie is on herself yeah. I know how hard you all are on yourselves enormous expectations yeah trust your instincts and just trust that if you're doing all the right things you know most of the time, mistakes will be made. Learn and just then bin them, and then just learn, and then just don't, just don't torture yourself. Mm. I did a lot of that myself, so yeah. Okay. Very um, predictable. I think that's probably a lot of people would say <laughs> that. A lot of women would say that. I think, yeah. Mm. And then to try and end it, I mean, this has been largely positive, but to end it on a positive note, what's something different about the world that me and Susie live in? that you think is a kind of positive change, something that we can make the most of and live life better Gosh, because of it's it. it's so hard because I just think you've got it so much tougher than I had at your age. Yeah. Um, I think I think we still have a long, horribly long way to go, but I think largely your generation are more tolerant than mine were. Mm than mine was at, at your age. Although I was very, I was an exception to the rule. I, was, I wasn't I was really, I was never, I always loathed intolerance and racism from when I was very young because my father was was, was virtually a Nazi. So I grew up with a, with a, an intolerance of intolerance sort of thing. Yeah. But then, but then at the same time, what, what makes me fearful is the massive rise to the, uh, rise in, in xenophobia and that's brought about yeah. Brexit that's got Trump elected that's all happening all over Europe all these right wing mm. um, 
you know, everybody just blaming their miserable lives on brown people instead of governments. So, yeah, you said a positive note. <laughs> Blimey. I think you are right, though. I think we're more tolerant. I think, it, I think it's a paradox, really, because I think, you know, your generation are. I remember most of my friends when I was your age were racists or, or at least xenophobic um, and, 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 and probably homophobic and, and everything else. But now, you know, you, you, your generation just aren't. You, you just don't, you know, and, I, and that's what gives me hope for the future. I think that eventually the, the miserable old buggers that voted for Brexit will be dead in 10 years. <laughs> they will, most of them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, you guys will, will take over, but you have to, you have to fight. Mm -hmm. You have to fight. And you've got a lot that needs that's worth fighting for. So you've got True. the bloody climate to worry about as well now. Mm. Positive, positive, positive. positive. <laughs> what else? What else? Let me think. Sorry, yeah. I can't. I can't. It's all right. I think it's pretty. I think it's a. We'll pretty, edit that out. <laughs> but the, the, no, the positive thing is that you only have one experience, so it's easy for me to say, "Oh, we had it so much easier." I mean, lots of yeah. You've only got the experience you have. Yeah. Now, so. You know, you're. I don't know if, if in forty years' time you'll think you did have it harder than than your own kids have it. I don't know. I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. You know, it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have it easier than than we had it. But I think maybe the first generation that that hasn't really. Yeah. Um, because it has. You know, my life was better than my mum's at my age, and 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 and, and I don't think your lives are better than mine at, at, at your age we had more you know lots of I suppose we I don't know but then so many more of you are educated only to, so such a tiny percentage of people went to university when I was young so much smaller percentage went to university mm. uh, if, despite it being free and and uh, fi fully financed and with grants and everything people just didn't go yeah um I think it was probably tougher to get in back then. I don't know, was it? I don't know. But anyway, no. You'll look. We'll, we've survived this long, and you'll you'll pull you'll pull it through. I have great faith in wonderful people like you who'll <laughs> sort this sort 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 us all out. You'll find new ways of finding truth instead of fake media, and you'll you'll learn that yeah. you know to fact check and not to take everything that's um, written as read. Well, we'll end on that. Yeah. Truth bomb. Truth bomb. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lorraine. For You're very welcome, to me. darling. I'm sorry if it was a bit all over the shop. No, it's perfect. Thank you very much. A stream of consciousness. <laughs>